0: It's not about bean bags and table tennis tables, no, those should be symptoms of what you're building, not, you know, not the actual strategy itself, because that's just nuts. Um, to me, the biggest thing that companies fail to do is articulate what they do in a way that people can get excited about. Give your people something excited to come to work for. So, you know, are you are you asking people to wait tables or are you asking people to come to work and help families create memories that they're going to remember forever? Mm. Which, one do you want to, which one do you want
1: to go and do? Hi, everybody. Welcome to the HR Leadership Podcast brought to you by Equitable. I am Joseph Ifeegbu, the CEO and co-founder of Equitable. This HR Leadership series focuses on what companies are doing to understand employee satisfaction, productivity, diversity, and how leaders are approaching the moments of truth. Join us. Hey, Benjamin. Uh, thanks for <laughs> joining us on the HR Analytics, uh, HR Leadership Podcast. Um, no problem at all. It's good to be here. Good to see you yeah, again, Jason. It's good to see you. Uh, could you start with just introducing yourself, Tell telling our listeners um, a bit about yourself and, and the work that you, that you do? Absolutely.
0: Yeah, um, my name is Benjamin Drury. I'm otherwise known as the culture guy, as you've seen the branding up here. Um, And my job is to make workplaces awesome. Wouldn't it be great if everybody went to work and was excited about what they did and was motivated and came home at the end of the day feeling fulfilled, like they'd done something worthwhile? That would be just phenomenal. The mood of the nation would change. And that's my job, to work with individuals and leaders and entrepreneurs, to try and create that business by business, create places where people just love to work and people
1: thrive in the work that they do. I mean, I like, I mean, I think, I think, listening to you just even say that, like, it's it's really exciting to see, like, that that passion for for making workplaces awesome. And so, I'd love to understand, and just from you, like, how did you get into this? Like, what, like, how did you get into, uh, yeah, like, the whole culture work for organizations? But <laughs> I fell into it by accident more than anything else. Um, I've done
0: many and varied jobs. I started life in IT, building internet banks back in the late nineties. Um, I've worked as a a social worker, I've toured with theatre companies, I've worked in retail, I've worked in education, and all the way through this career, I'm looking at leaders and I'm talking to leaders, and now I'm thinking, are you sure this is the best way to get the most out of your people? But then in the back of my mind, I'm like, but you're the leader, you're the executive, you must know what you're talking about. And it took about about 20 years for me to realise that actually, a lot of the time, they didn't really know what they were talking about. And so I started, to, I started to put some ideas down on paper of, of the way I saw the world and what I thought about. And um, some colleagues and some friends started to read it and go, actually, this is really good. Can you come and talk to us about culture and about how to get the most out of our people? And that morphed into, into a book and more and more people started coming and saying, well, can you help us? And so I kind of stumbled into it by accident. But it, it did take me a long time to realize that the way I saw the world actually had value in it. And it wasn't just the fact that oh, actually you're a leader. You must know what you talked about. There was there was some value in the way I saw things, which is quite interesting.
2: What are those, like, what's an example of something you thought of differently, right? So you mentioned how um, you started seeing that, like, okay, I want to share my thoughts because I was looking at things a little bit differently than, than the rest of the world or people in this space. So I guess, yeah, I'd love to hear, like, a, a quick example of something or even, like, an experience where, like, someone was talking and you shared your thought and they were like, whoa right? That's, yeah. that's completely
0: different. I think one of the biggest things I've found is that over, you know, from the 80s, kind of 90s and noughties, business has become this kind of ethereal entity. And it's like, this is a, a professional thing and we don't have emotions. And, you know, we're an organization and we're efficient and we're a machine. And and actually, when I start to talk about well, hold on a minute, no businesses are just lots of people getting together to do something. Businesses are just a relationships with purpose Mm -hmm. and so we need to actually put the emotion back into it if we want people engaged if we want employees to turn up to work excited to do the job that you're asking them to do they need to have an emotional connection and that was quite alien to some people who you know no this is a business and we do business and people get paid to come and do hours and work and jobs and deadlines i'm like no no people are giving you their time big chunks of their life Give them something to get excited about. So when they do that, they're giving you their heart and their soul as well, because they believe in what you're trying to do. Let's right. put the emotion back into this whole thing. Let's stop trying to leech the emotion out of it. And that was quite, to me, that that was just so obvious to me. I wanna to come to work and I wanna want to, I want to have, have emotional connection with what I do. Right. And that is a big step for some businesses to get hold of that. And when they do, you just see their people just flourish and blossom. It's amazing.
2: What's like something that, that companies can do to uh, enable the employee experience in a, in a better way. Absolutely, you're absolutely right. You know, it's not
0: about beanbags and table tennis tables. You know, those should be symptoms of what you're building, not, you know, not the actual strategy itself, because that's just nuts. Um, to me, the biggest thing that companies fail to do is articulate what they do in a way that people can get excited about. Give your people something excited to come to work for. So, you know, are you, are you asking people to wait tables? Or are you asking people to come to work and help families create memories that they're gonna remember forever? Mm. Which one do you wanna go and do? And it's simple things like that, that actually and it's not difficult for all businesses to look at, well, what is the impact we're having? And when you look at restaurants, the impact is families and, and, and um, couples are coming together and just enjoying moments of joy and beauty together and creating memories. And they'll talk about those for 20, 30 years in the future that is what restaurants are doing but yes you know ultimately i'm coming and i'm putting plates on tables and taking dirty ones away but that's not the but that's not what's happening here what i'm doing is i'm creating an environment and a space where memories are made that are going to last a lifetime and that is a completely different way of looking at the same job
2: right. enabling people to really like look at that the early really is so powerful and communicating yeah. the mission it's difficult though you know, I know it's something Joseph and I talk about a lot, like being, being able to like communicate the mission to our team and to our, team, our company. Because we've also been at bigger companies where uh, I, we, we, it gets lost, right? Especially in the, the nuance of the day, but also uh, when you start growing an organization and leaders uh, from other organizations come into your company, it gets watered down a little bit every... Yeah. So, you know, and, and, and so like keeping that consistent And keeping that message throughout is something I I know like Joseph and I have like struggled with in the past and seen, I don't know. Yeah,
0: it is, it's it's a difficult job to do and it takes time and energy and you actually have to deliberately go about doing it. What is grounding those kind of that definition of the mission and the vision and the values and everything like that. What does that mean on a Monday morning and a Wednesday lunchtime and a Friday afternoon for how I interact with people and how I answer the phone and how I talk to customers and how I solve problems. What does that mean on a daily basis for me? And that's, the, you know, there is often a gap in organizations. They know what they're trying to do, but my policies and processes don't quite match up because I
2: haven't gone deep enough to go, well, what does it mean on a Monday morning and a Friday afternoon? So let's say, I'm you know, I'm, I'm, I'm building a company, let's say. Um, and, you know, we have uh, about 10, 15 employees. And I come to you and I say yeah I'm, I'm ready like we're, we're trying to you know trying to build it we're trying to build a culture we're trying to build the culture of our company which is unique to our company what, what are some steps like what are some what are some processes that you know I start I should start thinking about in the early stages of building culture for my company I think
0: I, the biggest first step is all about definition It's all about knowing what are you trying to build and why are you trying to build it and what's the impact you're having and what are the rules of the game? Because every company has rules of the game. What are the lines we will not cross in doing business? If we have to cross these lines, we're going to pack up shop and go home. That's, you know, those are the core, what we call the core values, the attitudes, the, the things that really matter. You know, the lines we will not cross in pursuit of what we're trying to do. You've got to make sure that everybody is on the same page. And often I find that leaders kind of know what they are but what they haven't done is articulated them in a way that other people can emotionally connect to them in the same way they understand them. So, you know, there's a disjoint. I, you know, I'll read your v- values and think something completely different to what you originally intended. So there is a process to get that definition right, get it really, really clear, so everybody is on the same page in in agreement, this is what we're building. Because once you've done that, you can then start to look at everything else. Have you got the right people? Is, our, you know, is the language we use and the way we talk to each other, is that all, does that all line up? You know, are our ways of working and policies and procedures and our environment, does that reflect and reinforce what we're trying to do? But that first stage is so important and often leaders, of, of kind, they kind of know and they kind of got it and they've, you know, they've, they've said it in a few different ways so a few different people can get it, but they haven't been absolutely nailed on clear so that everybody is absolutely on the same page. Oh, not through any fault of their own just because they're not wordsmiths they're not right. emotional wordsmiths it's not within their wheelhouse and that's okay you know find somebody else that can help in that situation
2: right i I'm, I'm super curious about it's i'm just gonna preface it's a slightly controversial question i'm not trying to set you up i'm just curious do you <laughs> believe in uh when interviewing candidates do you believe in culture fit
0: no <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let me explain why. <laughs> yes, I do. In the sense, you're in, in the way that you're asking the question, yeah. I don't call it culture fit. And the reason I don't call it culture fit is because I don't want somebody that's just going to come and they're happy to operate within those values. Mm-hmm. I want somebody that's going to come and go. Oh, I love these values. Do you know we can do this? And how about how about we could try this? You know, in this context over here, I want someone that's going to get excited about what we're right. trying to build, not just fit and be happy and plod along. I want somebody that's going to contribute. So I want people that are what I call cultural contribution. They're going to come and they're going to color it even more. They're going to bring more color and more life to our organization with the same heart that we started it in the first place. Not just somebody that's going to come and fit. And don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about everybody's got to be super excitable and everybody's got to be, you know, people are going to bring that color in different ways, but I want people to be so engaged that they're going, Hey, how about this? Have you thought about it? And they're bringing life and color to it in, small ways and big ways throughout the organization so it's not just about fit it's about contribution
2: yeah we we, we just officially tra- changed all our interviews we're going to say color uh, culture contribution
1: mm-hmm. now
2: uh that's uh, i'm, I'm going to borrow that term I Really no
1: it. <laughs> uh, so like in terms of that like in that theme um at what point should 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 people should leaders or should whoever start thinking about that like at what point in the company life cycle what before you start the company right (laughs) like when you start like once you're 10 employees in when you're 50 when you're like what at what point should you know either you know the leadership sit down and say here are the set of values and then go from there what your your again
0: i'm gonna i'm gonna be highly pragmatic about it (laughs) ideally before you hire someone because how are you gonna hire the right person unless you really nail down and understand what those values are if
2: Hmm.
0: if for me, hiring people is about finding those people that read what you've written about who you are as an organization and go, I want in, how can I help? I want to be part of your organization. I want those people. And in order to do that, they need something that they, they need something to hang their hat on. Having said that, when entrepreneurs are starting a business, they're excited about the technical side, they're excited about delivery, they're excited about doing the stuff and getting people to help them do the stuff. And often, yeah. you know, once you get to five, six, seven, ten people what they find is entrepreneurs hit this um, growth barrier where they have to start to let go and trust other people to deliver. And if they haven't done it, then it's really difficult to duplicate the passion and the emotion and the obsession in other people in your organization if you haven't done it by that point. Mm -hmm. So the practical answer is when you start to have to let go and trust other people to deliver, at that point, you have to have this cultural structure in place. So Mm -hmm. other people are as excited about it as you are so that when you step back nobody notices because mm. it's the same passion and fervor and life that was when you've got your fingers in every pie yeah. so ideally as soon as possible but often <laughs> you know before you start to let go that's when you really do have to have it nailed
1: okay so for companies that are already along the process they're are 500 a thousand people in and they haven't really defined and then obviously inevitably certain things are going to start to go wrong how can, how can those kind of companies identify what those issues are and how can they go about fixing it, right? Because at the end of the day, you want to bring it back to like, here are the things that we value as an organization. So for companies that have gone so far ahead and they haven't done that, what can they do to now basically fix um, that, that, that foundation?
0: The first and most important thing is communication. We have to get everybody's view on the situation because the people that talk the least are likely to be the people that have got a few of the answers. So we have to somehow create ways to have those conversations. The way I often do it when I'm working with organizations is I'll talk to the leadership and we'll have the conversation about what are you trying to build? Let's articulate it in a way that's exciting. What are the values? What, you know, what, are, the, what are the rules of the game here that we're playing by? And then I will go around the organization and have exactly the same conversation with lots of other people not, and not tell them what everybody else has said. They'll all be blind conversations. And what you'll find is there's overlap. Now, there's this what the leadership says what what the people in HR say what the people in engineering say what the people in uh, in support say all those kind of things and you'll find there's overlaps so some of it's working and some of it's not but where there's no overlap that's where the friction points are and then mm. you can start to actually look at well why are there friction points what are the things we can do and there's there's usually two camps that these things fall into one is the low-hanging fruit quick easy fix we can solve those tomorrow just by shifting a procedure mm-hmm. just by going actually we're going to put in a communications procedure that will solve that tomorrow and then just read so you know there's often low-hanging fruit that and what that low-hanging fruit does is build trust and allow you to then start having the conversations about right what are the deeper seated issues we've got here let's start to talk about those but you've got to do those low-hanging fruit first because otherwise people are go here we go again, I'm just going to sit in the corner and not get involved because it's a waste of everybody's time. When they start to see change from the low-hanging fruit, and often that low-hanging fruit actually has a, quite a big impact, it's not, necessarily, you know, it's not proportional to the size of the, the effort you make. Sometimes those small things have a big, big impact. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it allows you to do is then build trust, and people go, oh, oh, actually, some things are changing. Maybe they are serious this time. Okay, I'm willing to get involved in helping this process. And it is those conversations beyond that that you then need to have to say, right, in your department, why are we not living out the values? of you know, For example, one of the values of the culture guy, one of our attitudes is people can do amazing things if you're a cheerleader and not a critic. And we try and build that into absolutely everything we do. Every conversation we have, we want people to walk away going, oh, I'm so glad I had that conversation. I'm quite excited about what happens next. That is built into everything we do. Mm. Um, if if we started to think we're having really conversations and people aren't excited when they leave, they're a bit bored, I'm like, okay, why is that? What do we need to do to fix that? That's the value we're trying to get. And we need to have those conversations with people say, so, well, why is it happening? Why are we not living up to what our expectations are? And other people often see things like, you know, like me and the leaders I, I was looking at when I was younger in my career. Other people in my organization can see things I can't. Having those conversations and creating, building that trust so that we can have those conversations is definitely the first place to start. Those conversations, lots of things will then start to fall out the bottom.
2: Wow. Yeah, it's, it is, uh, I, I, we always said, you know, um, what's, there's, there's some line for this as well. Like people always talk about survey fatigue or like, um, but really people don't have survey fatigue. People have like fatigue from responding to surveys and not seeing any action. Um, And so, like, you're you're talking just exactly in theme is that, like, okay, what if, ask the questions, um, and then actually start implementing things off of what you've heard. Uh, If you consistently ask the questions and just gather feedback to gather feedback, then you're just, like, one of those, like, old-fashioned question box, suggestion boxes, but you're not actually doing anything uh, with it, so... Yeah, super powerful to like action on these things. Do you, do you do things, would you recommend doing things in a survey or focus group, just like, you know, practically speaking?
0: Um, both of those, but in a very, very specific order. And the reason is for the very thing you just said, I would sit down and do those focus groups and have those one-to-one conversations first. And in there, I am looking for those low hanging fruit as well. Somebody goes, you know, we do this here. why can't we just do that? And I'm like, that's a great idea. Give me a second. And I'll email somebody and say, can we get this implemented next week? And they're like, Has that just happened? And that's what then builds trust. So when you then do the surveys afterwards to gain deeper, more, more information, people are happy to do it because they've seen you take action almost immediately on something they've said. So it's engineered. You know, I'm going to put my hands in the air. It's manipulation. I'm doing it deliberately <laughs> to manipulate people. But it's, you know, it, it, it's totally above board, and it's a good manipulation if that's not an oxymoron. But yeah, I'm I'm looking for those ways that I can build trust, and people can start to go, oh, actually, now this guy is an advocate. I want to help.
2: Definitely, I think in in certain scenarios we've seen in the past where people are focused on the bottom line, uh, where they say like, you know, what are, what are the dollars coming in? What's the what's the revenue? What's the profit? How's our headcount growth? And we're okay cycling. You know, people are going to be unhappy, that's fine, but we're okay cycling, we're okay with high attrition as long as we have high, you know, continue to have a high growth rate. Um, but we've seen the impact that has on an organization long-term and it's not sustainable.
0: But it's, it's also not it's also not good business. If you have a strong culture, your revenue goes up. Right. So why would you not do it? It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm focused on the bottom line. Well, look after your people because the bottom line will improve. Stop. Right. Stop it's Stop like separating okay, them out as if they're as if they're right. mutually exclusive they are not
2: right imagine your revenue that let's say you know 10 million or whatever 100 million imagine what it could be if people enjoyed working with you yeah uh, your company. you've got
0: if you've got, <laughs> if you've got 100 million people 100 million 100 you've turned it over 100 million you You've got two thousand staff are, are they all operating at 75 80 then 100 nobody's going to operate 100% all the time because we're human but are they operating at 75 80% or are they operating at 40 and 60 mm. and if they're operating at 60 and you can get by by engaging them and getting them to enjoy their job you get another 20% that's almost having a third more people mm. why would you not do it
1: so as companies grow and develop like how 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 should they maintain okay you've 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 set up you set up this set of values, right? Or you've grown, but at the same time you went maybe you didn't set it up initially, and then you went back and you created that, and you keep growing, right? Um, you go to you move to different countries, you have you have a place in different countries, different parts of the world, and all of that stuff. And then in this remote world, whereby you know more and more of that, where companies are actually uh, hiring people from all around the world, how do you maintain that culture as you grow in scale, especially like with this dispersion? around the world of companies? How, 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 how can you do that in this, this new age of working?
0: That's uh, it's a really great question, it's especially like you say, um, pertinent to uh, companies that spread across different nationalities and different, um, different global cultures. Exactly. Um, and the, the key thing is we've got to not try and create the same cultures everywhere. We've got to let them contextualize to wherever they are. Because if we're talking about actually having compassion for our, our customers, you know, we do what we do because we genuinely care about our customer success. Mm-hmm. What those interactions look like in Asia is going to be very different to what those interactions look like in the US and look like in Africa and look like in Europe. So actually you've got to let your local people decide. You know, in in, in the US, it's gonna be very bang. This is what we're gonna do. A lot of, lot of you know, a lot of yee I don't know, I just, <laughs> everybody's, getting, everybody's getting excited, everybody's, everybody, yeah. it's very much, if I'm going to get you excited, it's very much an emotional thing and we're, we're all going to get excited together. In Asia and Japan, it's very much more stayed. Actually, mm. you know, that, that level of um, making sure you've got everything you need is much more deferential. And mm. I'm going to look after you and I'm going to be more service oriented than, than leader out front orientated but the same underlying value about looking after our customers, making sure they've got what they want because we genuinely care about their success. So I think in answer to your question, and that's the first thing to remember that it's going to look different in different places. As long as the underlying values are holding, they're going to, they're going to manifest very differently in different cultures across the world. But yeah. the key thing is doing three things. One, constantly remember what you stand for and why you're there and you know, make sure everybody is really clear, really clear on what we're doing and why we're doing it and the rules mm. of the game. Secondly, hiring the right people that can deliver that in whatever context you're asking them to deliver it. Mm. Hiring those people that want to and are passionate about it and actually they want to help you build what you're trying to build. And thirdly, let them get on with it. Leave them alone. Let them actually deliver. Let your yeah. managers yeah. and you know, the people that run your, run your different um, countries and your different departments, let them actually help contextualize it with their teams people are getting in touch how can people reach out to you if you get onto google and you search for the culture guy i'm right there at the top amazing <laughs> that, that's some that's some good seo there
1: you go <laughs> teach us your ways um uh, <laughs> organically by accident <laughs> yeah, this is great this is so great uh thank you thank you so much benjamin for coming on the podcast we really really enjoyed this conversation and uh, we can keep chatting me because Culture is like a big thing for us. We love chatting about it. We love thinking about it, so.
0: I'm um, more than happy to get on any other calls you want. I'm more than happy to (laughs)
2: chat to you guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much.